0: Episode forty-seven of Seance, Imagine the Gathering podcast for the spooky spike, focused on latest thrills, chills, and outright scares in both modern and pioneer.
1: Zach, uh, Halloween is over. Also, it's November
0: the fourth. Whoa, time flies when you're having fun.
2: I think we might have missed the window
0: on this one. Oh, go! I mean, you got to strike while the elk's hot. That's what they say.
2: Ooh, it's me, the
0: ghost of theme episodes a week late than they should be. Oh, I wasted my life. <laughs> okay, so that's a side project we're gonna talk about later. But on to our real show. Hello, and welcome to episode forty-seven of the Dive Down Magic the Gathering podcast for the casual spike. Focus on latest decks, trends, and strategies in Modern and Pioneer. My name is Zach. Here in Chicago, with you on the line from Columbus, Ohio. It's the Supreme Phantom. She beeps. Yeah,
2: I got a lot of widgets and buttons to sell to the lovely citizens of Ohio, so I'm on the road yet again.
0: Also with us here in Chicago, it's the CEO of Drug Skull Industries, Dave Harberger. I did my bit already. I should have saved it for this, but I couldn't wait. Hmm. And last but not least, freshly on the north side of town, it's the man who quelled a spell, Stanislav.
1: I used to be the host of this show, but then I died. <gasps>
0: <laughs> His hood is up, but you couldn't tell. But he looks real spooky.
1: Now I'm a flying ghost because I died.
3: Hey, hey! Wow. <laughs> I heard that each of a uh, every listener after this needs to get three of their friends to listen to this podcast af- afterwards, so that they don't get
0: uh, dive dive down. Ringed. <laughs> you're selling this real well, buddy. Yeah, you're gonna get you're gonna get ringed by the dive down. If you don't show this to three of your friends, I'm going to call you at all hours of the night to ask you if a dragon is playable in Pioneer. And it's never going to be playable in Pioneer.
1: If you don't show this to three of your friends, someone's going to cast a dive down targeting a creature that you're trying to remove when you don't have an extra removal spell as backup.
3: If you don't show this to three
2: of your friends, Shane Beeps will crawl out of your television. (laughs) Watch out. I'll have some choice comments for you about your interior
0: design.
1: (laughs) And your, deck, and your deck selection.
0: No, no, this isn't about magic anymore. This is about how you are a terrible home designer.
1: Shane will look at your cards and be like, what is this pile? Do you even have a plan? What are you really <laughs> doing here? You can't just play
3: good cards. This sideboard isn't even transformational. Shane actually has more things to say about the way people organize their cards than about their decks these days. Uh-huh. There's been a lot of discussion about what we do with our Pioneer cards in, in the Slack.
0: There's a right way and a wrong way to do it, Dave.
2: Do you put them in with your modern cards? Do you leave them all while they're lonesome? Oh my gosh.
0: I leave them in the barn. So this week, as I mentioned, we have our most spooktacular episode yet. We're taking a patent pending deep dive into one of modern's most beloved tribes, spirits. And since we covered humans about six months ago, we
1: realized it was time to see how the other half lives. So we're taking a journey to the other side. This episode, we'll be looking at how Spirits came out of nowhere to briefly be a Tier 1 deck, and discuss where we think the deck currently stands, or rather, floats. Assessing the fundamental goals and strategy of the Spirits deck, explaining how the Blue-White and the Bant builds work to execute that strategy, and why you might choose one over the other... We'll let you know what to expect out of a spirit sideboard, and share some of our trade secrets on what we learned playing the deck, and how you can beat spirits on the other side of the battlefield. Finally, we'll look at the future of spirits in the modern metagame. And maybe
3: pioneer a little bit.
2: Yeah, and this episode is, again, one of our special requests by one of our top-tier patrons. This time it's Blue Cheese, and Blue Cheese has been around since basically the beginning of our podcast, I think. Commenting in the Reddit threads and then when we started the Patreon, uh, they were right there with us. So uh thanks to them. And if you want to be able to request an episode topic too, you can join our Patreon at the top tier as well. But if you like what we're doing, like listening to the podcast, want to join the dive down nation, you can do so for any amount you want. You can check out patreon.com slash the dive down to see what swag you can get at various price points. So we hope to see you in our super secret slack channel soon. But until then, let's go to Stan with some housekeeping.
1: Thank you, as always, to the newest patrons to join the Dive Down Nation. This week, we're excited to shout out Arun S., Brandon M., Mainaka, and Dan S. Also want to send our thanks to Bob P. for moving up a tier. And another shout out goes to Simon G. for the friendly review on Apple Podcasts. This helps us out a lot in getting our show out there and finding new listeners. So thanks again to Simon and everyone else who's taken the time to leave us some kind words over there. Really appreciate it. As always, if you'd like to support the show directly, you can do so via Patreon or signing up for Manatraders.com using promo code Down, all one word, to get 10% off your first three months of a Manatrader subscription. You can use that to rent Cards for Magic online or in paper. So, check out manatraders.com. Use coupon code dive down for 10% off.
0: Breaking news.
1: Dugga, duga, duga. Dateline. Internet.
0: Is it, is it breaking news about enormous chains once again? Because I know those are a problem out in like the Western continent, but turns out that, that we got
3: news from the West Coast, the wizards of the West Coast, after a lovely lunch of Qdoba, according to Aaron Forsyth. Uh, we had our first bands in the Pioneer uh, Pioneer format announced today.
1: Congrats, people. You finally got what you wanted all along. Cards kicked out of Pioneer. Okay, so
2: we have Felidar Guardian, Leyline of Abundance, and Oath of Nyssa, which I think is the curveball. So you, you want to go over the, the first two, the easy ones, or perhaps the, the most straightforward ones?
0: I, I just want to, before we go over them, i like to note that it was our own Dave Harbarger who said that Leyland of Abundance was a card to keep an eye on.
3: M tw- M20 clicks a pick.
1: And Sahili On last week's episode, he said something to the effect of, I have a feeling Sahili has potential to be problematic.
3: I, I actually said, I, can't, I don't think Felidar Guardian is going to be in the format very long. Turns out, it was in it for, what, two and a half weeks? <laughs> yep. What they said was Felidar Guardian is a messed up magic card. And it, it's a literally messed up magic card because the rumor about Felidar Guardian is that they forgot to leave off that it could not blink Planeswalkers in the card text. Uh, I don't know if anybody remembers that from the Aether Revolt days, but that's the story. So the, the key with Felidar Guardian, of course, is that it co- combines with Saheeli Rai to do it. A- Splinter Twin style infinite creature combo with haste to kill people on turn four. If you've played Pioneer in any amount, I'm sure you faced down this combo. You've probably died to this combo. And so, before the format got too much more mature, Wizards of the Coast decided to take Felidar Guardian out of the out of the format. And the reason they said was the Felidar guardian Sahili Rai combination threatens metagame diversity by requiring decks to prevent specific types of early interaction while developing their own strategy or else immediately lose the game.
1: Likewise, they even identified Felidar Guardian as the target so that they don't have to worry about any future technology that might be able to exploit Felidar's blinking ability as opposed to banning Sahili Rai in this case.
0: Yeah. It felt very birthing potty to me in that this way they can just never have another creature that blinks walkers in the format and they don't have to worry about it. Totally true. Yeah, I was kind of, I kind of really only expected Sahili Rai herself to get banned.
2: Um, Felidar seemed like it could have had some interesting interactions as like a fun enabler later. And Sahili herself is kind of meh overall, I think, but... Um, makes sense either way like what, what you guys have to say I think is totally valid I think most people felt that this deck was probably the first thing that was going to go in the format and that came to be because like Dave said Saheeli rise is essentially kind of a twin splinter twin type strategy it kind of hinders a lot of other strategies from enacting their game plan and really developing their own strategy that to sit back and live in fear and it's kind of also pretty straightforward to put The Saheli Rai and our package into some kind of four color, like a Jeskai control deck of some sort. And we'll talk a little bit about the metagame dominance that the Saheli deck has already been exhibiting as well. So I think it was probably a safe first ban. I think it kind of is going to open up the metagame to allow some other strategies to come in. This is a great indication of the fact that Wizards is acknowledging a little bit
3: that the removal in Pioneer is not that good. Okay, because... And, and there's a couple of reasons here, you know, Felidar Guardian has four toughness and there are very few single mana kind of answers to it around. Basically there's just fatal push and lava axe or lightning axe. If you, if you want to be able to do that, a fatal push, you have to enable with revolt. Um, otherwise you're just kind of sunk. If you're, if you're set up the wrong way, you can maybe counter it with a, uh, you know, if you're playing some kind of, 2 mana. Essence Scatter. Essence Scatter or you're paying the, uh, the the mini mana leak, which the name of it is escaping me. Quench. Quench. But I think that, that this is a good indication of like the entrance in Pioneer might not get a lot better in the immediate future, so we need to just get rid of Fel at our Guardian right now.
1: I think it's also worth noting that a lot of these decks were also running to Fairy Time Reveler. So it doesn't matter if you're keeping mana up with interaction, or, such as counter spells or removal, you're not casting any spells when your opponent is about to combo off.
2: True too. Yep. Yeah, and the and the burn kind of sucks. Like if you if you want to hit Sahili Rai when she's you know when she minuses and blinks the felidar, you have an opening to do some like a shock or a wild slash or hit her with a uh, walking ballista. But you have to have you know those spells in hand. So if you're holding up two mana for like
0: your lightning strike, that's not a great feel. Yeah, and really just reiterate, there are very few cards and they're all conditional that are dealing more than three damage and instant speed to a creature. So a lot of them are sorcery speed. So that's not very good when your opponent's combo is at instant speed.
1: Something I find so interesting is that this combo was banned in standard. It's now banned in pioneer. And yet in modern, it barely bats an eye. And I wonder how much of that has to do with the relative removal available within the formats at a given time.
0: Everything. I think everything. Yeah, it's bolt. (laughs) You mentioned with the fairy. So Teferi's out, and you're, they're stopping you from doing anything, so you have to kill Teferi and then kill Sahili Rai. And sometimes a double bolt can do that, or a double burn spells can do that in Modern. But here you need four mana worth of cards, and that's, once again, maybe best case scenario. Also in Modern, sometimes
3: there's there's so many pieces in, in this combo that by the time you get it up and running in Modern, sometimes you're just dead. You know, sometimes if you're the Sahili Rai person, you're just getting prime-timed. By by somebody on turn four, and it's just kind of like over. So it's just not fast. It's the same cards. It's just not fast. It doesn't get any faster in modern than it, you know, from the speed of it in Pioneer. So, all right. Well, Felidar Guardian didn't get to stay. Kind of too bad. I, you know, I definitely would have tried the deck out, but I didn't get a chance to.
2: So, oh well. Next, Leyline of Abundance. So it's two green green Leyline. So if it's in your opening hand, you could put it on the battlefield as a pregame action. If you tap a creature for mana, it makes an extra green mana, I believe. And then I forget what the activation cost, but you can also...
0: What, what a great podcast this is, right? No, <laughs> I'm, I'm doing
2: it on the fly. So you, you, can, you can pay to give a plus one, plus one counter on all your creatures as well, just for kicks. It's six generic green green. So that's pretty big. But yeah, the main thing is, is it makes your mana dorks double mana dorks. Right. And also enables uh, two pips of devotion. Right. And so for free... Right. And so that
3: was the big thing is that when you're putting together a deck that's full of uh full of your elves and you're trying to build up devotion to make Nykthos good and you have these kind of ley lines that add to devotion right off the bat, it's a huge leap forward. There's also um kind of other wild things that happen as a result of it, but pretty pretty amazing card that I think a lot of people said was gonna be broken and turns out the first place it was broken was here.
0: Yeah, I mean they directly mentioned Nykthos in the banning announcement. They, they say that it provides you devotion, like you mentioned, and they literally say our hope is in the long term. Nycthos can add diversity to the metagame as part of a fun and healthy devotion strategies. Therefore, we're choosing to ban Leyland Abundance as a card that enables the deck's fastest and most powerful opening turns. So I think that's cool. I had a Nycthos in my binder that I was looking at, hoping I could put into my mono red deck, and now I can. And ideally, you can do things like that, like allow a mono red deck to get some cool ramp in there or a blue deck even. But we will see. Leyland Abundance was probably the good call here.
1: Zach, I hope you're right that this card was, in fact, the right call. I did play against the deck a few times, so I saw its power level. Though, in my experiences, and maybe this was based on my own deck selection, it didn't feel particularly oppressive. But based on what a lot of people were writing online and what people were describing as the ceiling for this deck, I I can totally understand the argument that they made. The one thing I'm really hopeful that this is not a case of banning Bridge from Below when, in fact, something else is the actual problem. So, I hope it's not a matter of Leyline went for Nykthos's sins, but is in fact the right call to, you know, encourage metagame diversity.
2: Yeah, I think we'll see. We'll see soon. Um, I'm somewhat surprised that these ramp strategies didn't get a little bit of time to see what might be, what might address them now that the cat combo was banned, like maybe slower decks that are running Field of Ruin, but, you know, a lot of high-skill players are running this deck this weekend and the past week saying it was busted, saying it should go, and that's what we saw happen. I mean, it certainly was looking really insane on camera when I was watching it being played uh, by by Todd Anderson and by other people on the NRG circuit. So Turn 3 Ulamog, you know, Turn 2 with huge boards into a gigantic Turn 3 Walking Ballista, the deck worked really well and looked really consistent. Awesome.
3: And then the last card, Oath of Nyssa, which is, I think,
0: an interesting card, something that's sort of been floating around in modern here and there as well. And like friend, super friend strategies decks, or like the mono green Devotion.
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it shows up in, in it actually shows up in the deck that, like the cat combo decks quite often as well as something that lets you dig towards either piece, but it's likely that Oath of Nyssa would continue to exacerbate problematic strategies going forward. It also greatly contributes to the consistency of strategies that utilize a large number of three-mana Planeswalkers in a way that can create unhealthy play patterns. For these reasons, we believe Pioneer will be a more fun and diverse pattern without it. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, guess what? They banned Ponder. That's
2: kind of how I feel about this. It's like,
0: okay. Ponder, wet, it also fixes your mana. Yeah.
2: Yep. Yeah, and it also added a pit for devotion, if that mattered. But probably not so much anymore. Like, I mean, this is just one of those... I, I I heard rumblings about this, like, fairly recently, where I think players who had a lot of game experience were murmuring about Oath of Nyssa just being a little bit too much of a good Swiss army knife. You know, letting you have that ponder effect... You know, and in in Pioneer, because the the spells are a little bit less powerful, so you're you're using creatures, you're using your planeswalkers, you're fixing your lands, you're fixing your mana with the static ability. I think that that is a really powerful card. And then, like, additionally, uh, like Zach was saying, fixing the mana for the planeswalkers uh, was super valuable because all the planeswalkers are uh, super good in this format.
0: I mean, they mentioned directly in here, the three mana planeswalkers, like they don't call them up by name, but I assume they mean Oko, I assume they mean Sahili. I assume they mean Teferi, I assume they mean Liliana the Last Hope, like there's just a lot of really good three mana walkers in this format, and a lot of them are from War. So I'm the sort of person who likes to extrapolate a ton of information from these writings and assume that they are full of coded information and I'm a little bit Nick Cage in National Treasure, and to me, this is a Declaration of independence. And when they say three-mana walkers, I feel that we might see a three-mana walker banned in the future. If that's a hint at that, do we think that's a possibility? I think this is just
2: a way to try to slow down perfect mana in this format. You know, They, they want the mana to be challenging, and I think Oath of Nyssa just made, made the mana less, less... It made the mana too good for Planeswalker heavy decks.
3: It's interesting. I actually think it's much more about the card draw and especially when you combine it with Teferi, where you can just bounce it, draw, draw, draw a card, play it, play it again, get another card. It's pretty insane in those instances to just kind of have like a value Teferi activation. So um, I, I think that the color fixing is always good and may, maybe that's, that's right, but I think it's much more about being able to ponder over and over again. Yeah. It's just
0: a Swiss Army knife. It's a very good card. Too slow for modern as well, though, by the way. I mean, like I said, people have tried it out, but. Excuse you, I 4 on my LGS twice with this in a red-green walkers deck, so
1: maybe you could respect that achievement of mine. So that's the BNR announcement for this week, and R&D did say that they're going to have BNR updates every Monday, even if they're not actually banning cards. So basically for the foreseeable future, though not forever, they're going to make an announcement sometime Monday, probably after Qdoba lunch meals, uh, that either something has to go, or they've decided you know, on this particular week, that they're not going to ban anything. So we will keep you up to date with that and analyze the impact that that'll have on this emerging format. And as long as we're talking about Pioneer, this week's breakdown is also all about Pioneer because we've been so excited to keep an eye on the emerging format and its metagame. And this past weekend didn't have any particularly high profile modern events to dissect We decided we're going to look at the results of the Magic Online Pioneer PTQ, Players Tour Qualifier, of which the top 32 decks were published. And I'm really starting to feel like by looking at all these tournaments and the data that is being shared really across the internet, coupled with the online meta we're seeing as players, stuff people are tweeting about, as well as the results from last week, Pioneer is really beginning to reveal its early identity. And we can really recognize some of the most popular strategies, the most powerful cards, and even stuff that could possibly even be described as fringe playable. So let's look at this PTQ, which was streamed by Todd Anderson, who was runner-up in the event with Mono Green Devotion. He routinely had over 2,000 viewers for this event on a Friday. So people were very excited watching this at work, in the middle of class. Maybe they took some PTO. We'll go over some of the decks that uh, we saw perform well in the top eight, describe briefly what they do. So then you can also start to identify these strategies yourself, whether you're playing online or even at your local game store. And really, we want you to think of this as kind of a dive down pioneer metagame crash course, patent pending. So Twitter user FinalNub did some number crunching and actually shared a spreadsheet with the results that they've collected from the PTQ and the top 32 decks that were shared, as well as a metagame breakdown. And what we saw was in this tournament, 31% of the meta, at least of the top 32, was copycat combo, followed by almost 16% was some form of green devotion. So the two most popular decks in this event were the two decks that got hit by the ban announce- announcement today.
3: Wow. Fascinating. Just taking the top of
1: the format right off. Just chop it off. Too good. Too good, I say.
0: Give this one a buzz cut.
1: Next up with 9.4% were Is It Phoenix and Red Aggro decks. With 6%, we had a green ramp strategy. And then with one deck apiece, there was... Various Green Ramp, Blue-Green Nexus, Catless Combo, etc. This is the other category, as we might refer to in another paper tournament. So to start looking at this top eight specifically, the winner was Blue-Green Nexus, which actually, as far as I know, is not affected by today's bans. I'm kind of surprised that it wasn't,
3: if you want, if I want to be totally honest, but go ahead and talk about it a little bit more.
0: Yeah, nexus. Nexus is a dangerous card. Oh, yeah. Nexus is ridiculous. What I have found, though, is that there are two really good, or in my opinion, really good red effects that are main deckable that stop damage from being prevented with the stop effect from Bonecrusher Giant and Wild Slash. So in response to a fog, you can cast those cards. And then all of a sudden, sometimes you push through damage a little more fringe. And then sometimes they just counter the spell. So it doesn't matter in the end. But I have been able to push through wins that way. And I think that Maybe we'll see more red and preventable damage as a thing going forward, and we'll see. I mean, Skullcrack, also legal. That's can't gain life,
2: but close. So, Stan, how's this deck working exactly? Because I don't really know.
1: Yeah, so Blue-Green Nexus is, in my mind, a control deck, and it really is designed to stall out games with cards like Fog, Nexus of Fate, Cyclonic Rift, and even Blast Zone, and then eventually win using either a single main deck copy of Thing in the Ice uh, it also has a single lumbering falls, which is the blue green creature land from Battle for Zendikar block. I
3: think one card that you're leaving out that's pretty important here is Wilderness Reclamation.
1: Yes, absolutely. Yeah,
3: which is is the actual a- engine, I think, of the of the whole deck that makes it possible to be able to cast Nexus of Fate early and often, and et cetera.
1: Yeah, and some other noteworthy inclusions, in my opinion, for this deck were a full playset of Dig Through Time and Supreme Will. Supreme Will specifically being a card that I've kind of had my eye on as one of the best counterspells in Pioneer. And likewise, the combination of Dig Through Time and Nexus of Fate, along with a couple Tenmeo, Collector of Tales from War of the Spark, makes it possible to really churn multiple turns throughout the course of a single game and practically lock your opponent out of playing magic while you shortly or slowly dig for your win condition. I've had it happen. It's not very fun.
2: All right, uh, second place, we had Todd Anderson, as we mentioned, playing Mono Green Devotion. I'm not going to talk too much about this because it's basically pretty much axed now out of the format, but it ran Leyland of Abundance, uh, Nickthos, uh to power out some really fast Nissa who shakes the world. It powered out giant walking ballistas, voracious hydras if you ran the blue green version. You know, you make big mana, produce giant threats, get that reach out of that walking ballista had a super high ceiling. You could even cast Uluwong on turn three. It's unlikely that we'll see the deck in the same format. Maybe it will live on. I think we'll wait to see. We definitely have seen, as Stan mentioned earlier, uh, One part of a deck get killed only to be replaced with something else. I don't know if there's a straight replacement for something as powerful as a Leyline, like Leyline of Abundance, but we'll see.
3: So the third place deck was four color copycat. I think we could skip this. We talked about it a little bit. It's a twin style deck, and it is gone now. We'll see if if this kind of Planeswalker Super Friends
0: deck lives on as purely a value deck or not. We have the Kethis combo coming in fourth, a deck that we've definitely talked about in passing on this show and a deck that I was shocked to lose to when it first hit hit up the scene. It's kind of KCI, Paradoxical Emery, a lot of looping and just guy sedency-esque or the old version with uh, Fate Stitcher at least where you're playing things from your graveyard, a lot of loops and combos, and it's just at first it's not clear what's going on. But basically you are using the card Diligent Excavator, which is when you cast a historic spell, you mill someone for some cards. So you're just recasting Mox Amber via Kethys, who either acted ability allows you to cast historic spells from your graveyard just until the end of the turn, because that's how that works. Legendary spells, but similar. Oh, not historic.
1: Yeah, I made the same mistake for some reason. I always thought it was historic, but it's in fact just legendary, which I guess is balance.
0: So anyway, allows you to loop legendary spells, so you keep looping these zero drop ones back to back to back to back. Get these triggers, mail out your opponent, win the game.
3: I think that this is a super powerful deck, and I expect this to kind of ascend now with color with Copycat leaving the top of the metagame as the best combo deck. I feel like there's a good chance this returns to the top.
1: Yeah, this deck actually does have Oath of Nyssa, so maybe that ban might stymie some of its performance as well. Um, I, I do like that it can actually pivot to either mill the opponent or mill yourself because it runs Jace wielder of mysteries, which is kind of like a a lab laboratory maniac effect where if you run out of cards, you win on the spot.
0: I will say cold shot right here. I think if this deck doesn't get banned in the next two weeks, it'll be one of our first pioneer dive downs just because of how good it's going to be.
3: Okay.
1: Wow.
0: Zach wants to
3: talk about to... more mox amber decks.
0: I'm under a legal contract. not to talk about why I want to talk about
1: it. Yeah. Stan, you gotta
2: talk about the next one. What's fifth place?
1: I will talk about it, but I have a feeling Dave is gonna want to chime in too. Cause this Is It Phoenix. I'm blue, Dave is red, together. We're some steampunk bros. Yeah.
3: I'm is. I'm Iz, you're it. Let's do
1: it. Yeah, I think I hear a <laughs> bacaw in the distance. It's my great pleasure to confirm that Is It Phoenix appears to be back, totally playable in Pioneer, and finally gets to run Is It Charm. A card that Chan and I have fought over a lot.
3: <laughs> Are you more excited that it gets to run Is It Charm or that it gets to run Treasure Cruise?
1: This was my first time casting Treasure Cruise. And listen, one mana draw three seems pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I heard really I, easy to yeah, do.
3: I've heard that, that that it's pretty good.
1: Yeah, so this version of the decks feels to me like a power-down version of the former modern list because it does have a play set of thing in the ice along with Arclight Phoenix. And also the nature of the format makes fiery temper, especially when it's cast off of madness from all the discard effects in this strategy, both a consistent burn spell appropriately powered and also very important to actually trigger your birds to come out of the graveyard.
3: This has been fo- great to play around with. I've been so excited to get to cast some Phoenixes again. It does feel like a powered down version of the is it Phoenix deck, but it feels totally like of a power level with everything else with uh, with the top tier of decks in Pioneer, which was surprising to me. And so I'm, I'm hopeful it gets to stay around for a while, and I'll get to keep flipping some things in Ices.
2: Yeah, that's one of the the decks that I've put through leagues, too. I think it's a lot of fun. It's definitely It definitely plays differently. Like, it definitely doesn't feel as aggressive. The spells are, you don't have any of the same good uh, cantrips besides opts. So everything just feels like it costs a lot more, and so it's a lot slower to get onto the battlefield and to be attacking. It's a lot slower to be flipping those out of the battlefield. I think that leveraging the madness costs of spells like Fiery Temper, and I think Nagging Thoughts is an up-and-comer for the deck, um, I think is what gets the cost down of cards while also playing into what you're doing with your discard outlets. So I think that... The play patterns are a little finicky, and I think that it has a lot of legs, but it doesn't doesn't feel overpowered to me.
1: Yeah, Shane touched on something that I found particularly interesting, which is a lot of the lessons and heuristics that I thought I learned playing Is It Phoenix and Modern really don't transfer over here. And it kind of feels like I'm relearning a new deck, uh, which had some pretty rude awakening moments because I mean, I don't feel like this deck is super easy to play. Um, And you really have to make pretty thoughtful mulligan decisions. You have to make pretty thoughtful decisions on how to cast or spend your is it charms. So I like this a lot. I think this could be a good opportunity for people to dust off their birds if they still have them lying around. And uh, maybe this could be a format leader moving forward.
0: It's more like going on another awkward first date than falling in love again, would you say? (laughs)
1: Like revisiting an ex and we decided this time is for real. I think we're really going to make it work.
0: Is this is this before
3: sunrise or is this until sunset or whatever? Like which which chapter of that wonderful trilogy is is this? Mm, this is Fault in Our Stars, and we can move on.
1: I thought it was a director's cut after the Moonfall.
3: I I think it's super interesting. It still feels like the same deck to me. <laughs> Honestly, it's like a little bit slower, a little bit a little bit uh, more expensive spells, but like I'm still doing the same stuff. I'm still trying to TT sometimes. I'm, I'm not trying to get as many broken you can't put have a bunch of birds come out on turn three, but like that didn't happen that off that often anyway, so it's kinda like um you know.
2: This is a deck that I have liked playing Baral in, but no one else does apparently. But I definitely like lowering the cost of my spells. So our sixth place deck you might think is similar to the other, you know, based devotion decks. But it uses a lot of different ramping effects, like Hour of Promise, Nissa's Pilgrimage, along with Once Upon a Time, Arboreal Grazer, again, somehow constructed playable, one drop. So this wants to just get lands on the battlefield more quickly and then have payoffs like Ugin the Spirit Dragon, Emrakul, Ulamog, Walking Ballista... This also has a couple feel of the de- Field of the Deads. Um, so that's kind of like, this is like your Field of the Dead style deck that's going to just have inevitability by playing lands all the time and filling the battlefield with 2-2 two, two zombies off the Field of the Dead triggers. And not a lot of people are running land hate right now, so it seems like a perfectly good idea to try to leverage that card. Yeah,
3: it feels to me a little bit like Field of the Dead is definitely underused right now and will continue to be or start to become a powerhouse in pioneer for for sure there's enough ramp spells to make it good you know bringing golos from standard into pioneer seems like a totally cromulent game plan and so we'll see where it goes
0: i think the land destruction slash mana disruption that exists currently is not very fast or particularly good even and like alpine moon is playable but eh. so i think that cards like this are going to be good and going to emerges is a very good format until we get more efficient mana destruction. I don't think we need Blood Moon, but maybe some sort of sanguine lunar object. Alpine Moon? Ever hear of it? I don't want to talk about Alpine Moon. What does Blood Sun do? It's It taunts me. It haunts my dreams, and it taunts me just out of reach.
2: I know. we Man, we got to move on. But man, Al, remember how much people talked about Alpine Moon and what Alpine Moon did and what it interacted with? There was so much more
0: conversation about Blood Moon than anyone ever played. Blood Sun? Blood, yeah, Blood Sun. Yeah, man. Thank you. There's some card that exists that Shane's referring to, and we'll leave it to you, listeners, to figure it out. No one's ever cast a blossom in their life. I think you're totally right. <laughs> um, it's he's playing Legacy. We get into there. Yeah.
3: Uh the last two decks were another. Is it Phoenix decks in seventh, and then another four color copycat in
0: eighth. So, pioneers wild, y'all.
3: Is it wild? Because I mean, if you look at the metagame breakdown that we talked about earlier. People had really started to coalesce around, I mean, almost 45% of the metagame was two different decks, basically, in that top 32. Watching the Nerd Rage Games uh, event this weekend, the first Paper Modern tournament, there was definitely a lot of Sahili
0: and a lot of um, a lot of monogree Devotion in there as well. You wouldn't define that as wild. You wouldn't define two decks as being almost half the field as wild. Mm, I guess, for me, wild equals diverse I mean, was there a lot of biodiversity in the wild, wild west? We can talk about that off mic.
1: So that's the breakdown for this week. It was a pleasure traveling west with you fine co-hosts. We're going to keep watching Pioneer as the format evolves in the weeks to come. But for now, we're going to take a quick break. And when we return, we are diving into that ectoplasm that we call spirits. Stay with us. (laughs)
2: Ooh. Ooh, spirits, brains. What? Do spirits eat brains? Those, those are zombies. You left me to die in
0: Nebraska. You said you loved me. Blood, I suck your blood. Vampires, maybe pioneer viable.
2: <laughs> All right. So this week we're gonna be talking about. Spirits, We've had many, many requests for a Spirits dive down. Um, some of us have played Spirits in the past. We've always been looking forward to do this. We were going to do it last week, but Oko made so much sense. The hot topic, we did it then. We saved Spirits for a little post-Halloween, you know, uh, uh, palate cleanser, something like that.
0: Nothing so- like a ghost to really get the taste of elk out of your mouth.
2: <laughs> so first we want to go over what Spirits is trying to do and why you might want to play it. So Spirits at its core is an aggro-tempo-based creature deck that looks to primarily reactively disrupt the opponent while pushing through evasive damage by going wide and over with the flying keyword with creatures that are pumped up by spirit lords, right? So as opposed to you humans, which are a little bit more proactive, Spirits is our reactive tribal strategy in modern. So it has this counter-tempo game, But it also has this flooding the board aspect, and those might seem like they're kind of conflicting strategies, but Spirits is able to do both of these things because of the interesting creature suite that it has in the deck. So we're going to go into those cards in some detail later, but a pretty good heuristic for all these spooky folks in the deck is they need to either disrupt, protect,
0: or have a lord effect.
3: They also all need to fly.
0: Not all of them, as time will tell. Some of these boys are grounded.
1: Well, not the spirits though, but yeah. you know, various members of the nobility,
0: and then like Kitaki Wars Wage, you know, they're just kind of on the ground to suit armor.
2: Yeah, they're just hanging out. They're just they're just hanging out. You played a list with
0: Kitaki's War Wars Wage in it. I did. It was fun. I beat it. Uh,
3: is this twenty fifteen?
0: <laughs> it's oh, the year at this point must be two thousand yeah. and seven, and I am in middle school, and I am just buying packs of save kamigawa. I'm just buying them, <laughs> and I'm opening. Kitaki, Wars,
2: Wage. So why might you want to play Spirits in Modern? So it has a critical mass and balance of these disruptive, protection, lord effect cards, and Spirits can therefore play the role of an aggro deck or a control deck in a really dynamic way. And that flexibility makes the deck really fun and also really satisfying to play, or at least I think so. There's a lot of different lines to think about each game. There's a lot of synergies to exploit within the cards that you have. And it can be pretty rewarding. It also utilizes cards like Aether Vial, Rattle Chain, Spell Queller, Collected Company. Noble Hierarch. (laughs) Noble Hierarch. Well, that's not what I'm getting at. At least those (laughs) cards let you have a lot of instant speed interaction. That can make you feel really clever when things work out for you or things fall into your hands because you were hoping to react to something the opponent was doing. And if you ever played a blue-white Flyers deck in Limited, you know how valuable that flying keyword can be. It often just means unblockable in Modern, which lets you close the game
0: out really quickly. So a real brief history of Spirits in Modern and how the deck has arisen. So Spirits didn't exist or really wasn't competitively viable until Shadows over Innistrad in Eldritch Moon, which released in early 2016. So here is where the real big tribal payoffs outside of original Innistrad block come from. Cards like Mausoleum Wanderer, Rattle Change, Selfless Spirit, and The Man Who Called the Spell, Spokewaller. By adding these new additions, in addition to the cards from Innistral like that Convention, mentioned, Drugscall Captain, Geist of St. Traft, and Phantasmal Image, which eh, can be a spirit, really the basis of spirits was formed. And it was actually at an SCG Open in Milwaukee in October 2016, the spookiest month, where Caleb Durward won the event with an early version of what we now know as banned Spirits. So it w- became really good, uh, in our opinion, slash our trade pick data, in M19, uh, which was July 2018, when Supreme Phantom, the Pizza Overlord, was released. So this is a rare two-mana lord. So real quick, uh, we I'll go this card's text right now because I want to talk about it for a brief second. It is a 1-3 flyer for one and a blue, until other spirits get plus one, plus one. So I think this card is really what pushed spirits to being good, and I think why is they have a critical mass of lords, they have four now, and this lord gets out of bolt range quickly, another lord does it right away, it keeps other cards out of bolt range quickly, it's monocolored. it's one and a blue, you don't need another white, you can get, you know, sometimes not need the white you need or not need the other mana you need and just be able to get it right there, and... It's just the efficiency of two mana. We'll talk really soon about how good Aether Vial is and how that allows some really silly plays in this deck, but there are times when playing this just out there on turn two is the right call to make.
3: Totally agree. I mean, I think that Spirits was okay, and then they printed this card, and all of a sudden everybody was like, yeah, we got eight Lords. Now we got Phantasmal Image, we got a bunch of other great flyers that have utility abilities, and so we there was just kind of a, we got a stew
0: going on. Uh, Shouts out to friend of the show and dojo player Shane who, when this card was revealed, went, dude, I'm excited, and really took their Spirits deck to a, a much more competitive level. So not me. No. Another Shane. Uh, there's there's more than one Shane. I know that's not what you believe, but...
2: All right, so interestingly, Spirits was atop the modern metagame in like the second half of 2018, and I think that was primarily due to having this incredible KCI matchup. Um, if you remember that deck, it was the scourge of the format towards the end of 2018 and early 2019 to look up banned because it had sideboard cards like Damping Sphere, Unified Will, Rest in Peace, Stony Silence, and generally was kind of new and fresh. People didn't really know how to play against it perfectly yet, so it was a popular choice for tournament players like Andre Stroski, uh, Paolo Vito de Maderoza. They wrote articles about it, were taking it to tournaments and doing quite well. But then...
3: Well, I also think that we should say, this goes back a little bit to the flying thing too, is that I just think it was a really powerful alternative... To humans with a different type of disruption than humans can have right and so we'll talk a bit more about how that works but i think that's part of the reason it showed up as well and it it gave them a chance to play a card that i think was a little underutilized in modern witches collected company at least in an aggro deck you know coco's used in, in other decks quite a bit but in this one it was the first one that we're just kind of playing it for value and part of the reason is because the come into play and activated abilities of the spirits are so good
2: but pretty quickly after that, you know, Arclight Phoenix got printed. The creation of the Is a Phoenix deck made spirits a pretty poor choice when thinking the ice is flipping over your entire board. You know, Arclight Phoenixes can block your spirits. Then KCI gets banned. Spirits can no longer lean on that matchup as, as strongly.
0: I want to point out why I think in the ice flipping is so bad for this deck as opposed to some other tribal decks. You really can't dump your hand the same way you maybe could with an elves or goblins or other more aggressive based strategy. Because you have so much tempo you need to gain from, like Dave mentioned, these powerful end of the battlefield effects. So if after they bounce your hand, you need to replay Spellcaller or Mausoleum Wanderer, cards we'll get into later. You're losing a ton of value by just playing them on your main phase to try to reestablish board presence. More so, I think, than other uh, sort of tribal or tempo based decks.
2: But we had a lot of sets released since the beginning of 2019. We've had Modern Horizons. Uh, Spirits has more cards to choose from. Things like Giver of Runes, Unsettled Mariner, Deputy of Detention from Ravnica Block, Spectral Sailor from M20. Faithless Looting got banned in Modern. So Izzet Phoenix isn't around to flip over your, your board like that. But we have new powerhouses, things like Urza, upgraded You know format staples like Amulet Titan, Burn, Tron, and Jundaround. So we have to ask...
0: And Tess, you know, his spirits been able to keep up. So moving on to the cards and the strategy, we've talked about this being a very good quote-unquote tribal deck. But like the other good tribal deck, Humans, which we covered in episode 21, check it out, good episode, and be yourself in card form. It turns out when a card is good enough, it doesn't have to be tribal to get the value. So while the core of the deck are these really good boneless humans, the deck does use other creature types and the effects are just so very good. So, to help know we're talking about a spirit, the core of the deck, or, you know, maybe a core or a human or whatever, we're going to say the spirit's names in a spooky voice. And I'll be sure to kick that off right away with Mausoleum Wanderer, which is a blue for a one-flyer. And also, whenever another spirit enters the battlefield in your control, it gets plus one, plus one till end of turn. And what's this, a third effect? race Mausoleum Wanderer? Counter-target instant or sorcery spell? As its controller it plays X? Where Exos the a wanderer's power? Whoa, that's really, really good. That's a 1-1 flyer for one. That's a flying man, first off. Very good card. And then it gets pumped up, so it's like two flying men. And then it also has, like we mentioned, this really good disruption ability to counter spells. And it's not hard to get the power pumped up. A lot of spirits have flashed. There's Aether Vry, like we mentioned. We'll go into that later. But also, there are lords in the deck. So, if we mentioned, Supreme Phantom makes this a 2-2, so all of a sudden they're paying two, and there's no other plays you're making. That's just the static effect.
2: Yeah, I think this is one of the most valuable and useful cards in the deck, really. It's kind of unassuming. That sacrifice ability can really disrupt a lot of what your opponent's trying to do, especially, like you mentioned, Zach, with flashing in. Uh, like, even sp- if you flash in a Lord off of, like, an Aether Vial, you're gaining two points of power because the Lord is adding one power, the enter the battlefield trigger is adding another power. So you can kind of blow your opponent out from time to time with it. And it just, it just allows for just a threaten of sacrifice to a lot of what your opponent might do.
3: Yeah, it's amazing how often attacking someone for a th- with a 3-3 flyer on turn two happens off this card, which looks and feels like it wouldn't happen that much. But you know, going this into Supreme Phantom... Basically, you get to attack with a 3-3, and then also on the next turn, you have pow- um you have disruption up for any removal spells. And that that can be really good, really fast. I even had an opponent when I was testing with this deck over the last week or so. Just I played turn one Mausoleum Wanderer, they played once upon a time <laughs> with no mana up. They just played once upon a time, and I was like I guess I'll sacrifice my Mausoleum Wanderer so you can't dig. And then they, were, they didn't have any mana, and I just beat them down.
1: Did they keep a no Lander?
3: Uh, I think they kept a one Lander or a two Lander, and it just wasn't enough to keep up. So anyway, Mausoleum Wander has the distinction of being a card that attacks really well and also provides you some disruption
2: uh, as a one-drop, which is really powerful. Next up, one of the cards that we were hyped about from Modern Horizons, that's Unsettled Mariner, or Unsettling Mariner! That's a blue-white for a 2-2 Changeling, which makes it every creature type, and importantly in this deck, a spirit. So whenever you or a permanent you control becomes the target of a spell or ability an opponent controls, counter that spell or ability, unless its controller pays one generic mana. So this is just a useful card. It's going to see play, you know, you typically from two to four copies. It allows some on-board disruption while also pumping up your Mausoleum Wanderers. by It allows it to grow from your Spirit Lords. So it's just a very useful two-drop and a deck that doesn't have a ton of two-drops. And a lot of your two-drops you don't always want to play four of. So it's kind of just a useful, flexible uh,
0: disruptive card. Another card that fits into this disruption camp. Usually only play the blue-white strategies. Cure a great glass spinner. One and two blue, two, two flyer. And this creatures you control have, whenever this creature becomes a target of a spell ability, for the first time each turn, counter that spell ability. So a little better with the disruption, but sometimes hard to play to the two blue. Sees play in main board, side board, just all around good, you know, flying creature.
1: As long as we're talking about disruptive creatures, I'm excited to talk about one of my all-time favorite modern spells, and that's spell Queller. One blue-white for a 2-3 flash flyer. When Spell Queller enters the battlefield, exile target spell with CMC four or less. When Spell Queller leaves the battlefield, the exiled card's owner may cast that card without paying its mana cost. One of the cool things about Spell is you can use cards like Collected Company to basically be a four-mana counterspell that also leaves a couple bodies on the board.
3: You gotta get lucky with that one, but it does happen
2: enough that you feel pretty good. The math is pretty decent, yeah, I mean this card just rules. This is this is one of the reasons to play this deck, because it it works so well with the it has flash, so it works well if you have the mana up. It works well if you have a aether vial on three up. It allows you to counter so many spells, even if they have the word uncounterable, like Stan said, and. I had a game just the other week where someone cast a Supreme Verdict on me, and you know, I had a Spell Queller. So it's just one of those cards that allows you to do so much, and then it has interactions with other parts of the deck. So if you have a Spell Queller and a drug skull Captain, you have to first remove that drug skull Captain, which is granting Hexproof, to then get to your Spell Queller.
3: It's even just powerful in the sense that it's a 2-3 flyer for, fl- for 3 with Flash. So, occasionally I find myself just casting this when I have a good aggressive hand. Sometimes I just got to leave the pedal of the metal and like I'll leave my mana up turn three and then I, you still have to cast it anyway to just keep attacking. Or if I know that I'm going to have a Lord the next turn and I'm going to drop Drogskull Captain on turn four, then it's super important to, you know, just get that spell queller out. So, there's definitely times where like that's just enough to be able to do, uh, to uh, put together a
2: good army. Yeah, Dave, I think that's actually a really important strategic part of this deck is you have to know your role and you have a spell color sitting in your hand and you're so interested in blowing your opponent out with it right you're like man I can't wait to get something they're going to cast something into it but a lot of times you just need to cast it and get your aggression down because you're you're in a race situation and you might not even know it yet so it's important to to play it both as a reactive and as a proactive card that's why spell color is so good it does both pretty well Especially when it has Lords on the board. Yeah,
3: it's it's amazing to just cast this and have it be a four or five. The next turn.
0: <laughs> seems good. Really
3: good, you know. So the next card we're going to talk about is, so th- those are kind of maybe the flashiest cards as far as the disruption suite goes, but there are some other really good um, additional cards to, to consider as part of your main spirit suite. Um, the next one is Rattle Change, which is a very strange card name, I think. I'm sorry. You mean rattle chains? Yeah. Thank you. I don't do vo- yeah, I don't welcome. do voices. Um, for uh, generic and a blue for a two-one flyer with flash, and it says when rattle chains enters the battlefield, target spirit gains hexproof until end of turn, and then it also says you may cast spirit spells as though they had flash. Rattle chains is interesting because when this card was originally originally printed people got really excited about having this as part of the um, part of the suite for it but it doesn't really see play in modern in the band deck all, all that much anymore it sees a lot more play in the blue white deck I think directly these days and it's just because I don't think you have a, enough space to run this particular card when you also have to fit four collected companies and four noble hierarchs into your deck which are key to the band deck. The thing that's interesting about this is that it lets you play Lords at flash speed if you don't have collected company, basically. And by the way, you know, I, I played this deck in Pioneer a little bit last week. And rattle chains, I think, is actually super important to the Pioneer version of this deck. So generally in Pioneer, you run three or four rattle chains, it feels like. In modern, you probably still only run one or two rattle chains. Even in the blue white one, because there's just so many other good options for things. The reason it's so important the Pioneer one is because you don't have aether vial, and so this is something that lets you be able to turn on playing all of your spirits at flash speed. So, as as import, this is another card kind of like Spell where that line of text that says when it enters the battlefield, target spirit gains hexproof until end of turn is great, and you can blow out removal sometimes. But other times, you just want to play Rattle Chain so that you can turn on flash for all your spirits and then flash out a bunch of threats.
2: Yeah. I totally agree, Dave. I think the, the Flash text, when you don't have another a way to get your spirits on the board quickly through either, either a Collected Company or through an Aether Vial, it feels like a very necessary card. But then you already have those more powerful ways to do it. So that's when rattle Chains sort of falls by the wayside, becomes a one, two, or maybe three of it the most in blue-white.
3: Now, on the other side... A really important card that I think often is played in quantities approaching four is Selfless Spirit. And so this is one and a white for a 2-1 flyer. And the text on Selfless Spirit is Sacrifice Selfless Spirit, Creatures You Control gain Indestructible until End of Turn. This is another card that lets you be a little bit resilient to Wraths. Um, That's kind of like the primary use of it, at least when you first look at it. So Spell Queller plus Selfless Spirit gives your army a lot of resilience to Supreme Verdict.
0: Something that comes up a lot in this show is I'm very into Red and Red Wraths, Anger of God, Sulturing Suns, and we're going to talk about this more later, but this is a card where, if played correctly, can totally blink and blow out a board wipe, and it's really hard to play around, it's really hard to utilize, and it just creates a lot of really tense situations where it's like, whoever blinks first might get blown out. Like, if you can bait them to crack this early, you can wipe them, but if they're smart, they can vile one and crack it, and there's just a lot you can do with this card, and it really is, to me something that offers protection in a way that humans doesn't.
2: It's actually hard to know how to use this best and I think can confuse your opponent because when you want to use it's up to you. And so it's up to your opponent to try to force that action. Do they want to do a big attack that you might have to block and then pop yourself a spirit to keep all of your creatures alive on your side? And at that point, maybe they'll have a you know, some kind of sweeper effect or some kind of effect that's going to take advantage of
0: you already using up yourself a spirit. Absolutely. And this is reminding me a lot of and Wander and Spellcaller, fitting in this deck's theme of it's a lot of really good tempo-based creatures, but how and when to play them is pivotal. And playing something as a sort of aggro tempo play is not the same as holding something up and knowing when to counter a spell. And you can't just jam these cards. Like, you can't just dump your hand, say go and win. I mean, sometimes you'll get there. Sometimes you'll be fast enough. But all these cards are really knowing when to play a card and when to hold an activation and when, you know, to, you know, crack an early mausoleum wanderer. So you can then get through with selfless spirit later, et cetera.
3: I mean, I've done all kinds of wild things with selfless spirit, you know, selfless spirit can help defend your team when somebody's attacking in with a large, uh, when with removal, they can, it can also help defend you when someone's attacking in with a large army. One play that stands out really, um, strongly for me is one time I had a self spirit in my hand. I was playing against Grixis death shadow and they opponent swung in with the Grixis Dex, death shadow, a huge one. It was like a nine, nine or a 10, 10. And my, you know, I had very low life. I had like three or four spirits. I had to block with all of my spirits to be able to not die. <clears throat> my opponent's, dropped team or battle rage on it. Cause I knew that they were going to do that to try to trample damage over to kill me. And I viled in selfless spirit, gave my team indestructible, soaked up enough of the damage that my team survived and I survived. And then I swung in for the win right after. And so there's lots of stuff you can do with that where people don't see it coming or they forget that it's there or they forget the implications for what happens if they attack into one of these. So it's one of those things where just onboard tricks are good. And um, you should really study up on, on what the appropriate time to use it is. Well, sometimes Umber Tricks actually can be good. Can be good, yeah. It, it is, it's interesting, Zach, that you bring up this kind of idea that this deck is full of lightning rods, sort yeah. of, like Mausoleum Wanderer is a card that often just gets bolted. Self of Spirit often just gets bolted. Spell Queller often just gets bolted. So there's just kind of like web of dependency between the different cards that help them all kind of improve and become more resilient to removal, but sometimes... One of the things that I find that's kind of annoying about this deck is you draw a lot of these kind of like disruptive enablers instead. And people just point removal your cards in one-for-one exchanges and then you fall behind. And that's kind of where we'll talk about Collected Company in a little bit, but that's where Collected Company really comes in to make the deck a lot better.
2: Yeah. The deck sort of feels like a kit of parts at sometimes. It's And it's up to you to put them together in the right order and <laughs> hope that you draw the cards in kind of the, you know, the right configuration that allows you to really get as much value out of them as possible. We'll talk about some of those key pieces
0: in a second. Yeah, b- build your own Gundam kit. I had to import this from hobbyjapan.com.
2: <laughs> An important card that sees some play, especially in the blue-white strategy, is Giver of Runes. Giver of Runes, from, uh, one of the cards from Modern Horizons that we, of course, talked about. It allows you to tap and give another target creature you control protection from colorless or the color of choice until end of turn. You know, another good disruptive onboard trick... That you can use early to protect some of your important lords or perhaps, you know, a pumped up creature that needs to get damage in. Like a mausoleum wanderer with a couple of triggers on it. That's super helpful. I think we have to talk about, you know, of course she's a, she's a core, not a spirit. But in certain decks she's super valuable and definitely sees some play in blue-white spirits. Not as much as in Bant. I don't think there's enough room really to run her because you want your other one drop of Noble Hierarch more frequently. Deputy of Detention, another non-spirit. It's a Vodulkin wizard. One blue and a white for a one-three. But when Deputy enters the battlefield, you get to exile a target non-land permanent an opponent controls and all other non-land permanents with the same name. So it's a, an a Oblivion Ring. Detention Sphere. Yeah, you can tell I don't play I I don't play blue-white control. <laughs> <laughs> Until Deputy leaves the battlefield, those cards are exiled. Super flexible removal. Honestly, it's one of those things that can get you out of a lot of Binds. You probably will have one or two in your main. You might have another one on the side just for flexible use. Yeah, Awesome off of a an Aether Vial. Yeah,
3: this card is ridiculously important to this deck, as it's turned out. I mean, it was sort of ill-timed given that it came out around the same time that spirits started to go on the wane. But um, this card, and honestly, Reflector Mage, which uh, is occasionally important as well, especially in Pioneer. Um, I had many of the wins that I got out of the stack and Pioneer off of some combination of lucking into a couple of good flyers and either deputy a Deputy of Detention and Reflector Mage.
1: Do you think part of the key with what this card is able to do is because it's clearing the board, you don't necessarily need to benefit from the Lord effects because even though it's swinging in for one power, it's usually doing so into an empty board on the opponent's side?
3: I think this just matters that it is a Cocoa Removal spell, that that's the bigger part, and an aether viable removal spell is sort of where where it comes down to. I, you're barely ever attacking with Deputy. It's really just the fact that the enablers of your deck lets
0: you get to this card. As I mentioned up top, there aren't many non spirit creatures, and this core and this Vidulkin are among the very few in this deck. There's more in the sideboard, but the the effects have to just be so good that it's worth not getting this instant speed trial payoff or Lord payoff. And I really do think exiling problematic permanence or multiple tokens is good enough. It's just such a blowout card. Yes. Uh,
2: against uh, if, unless the opponent is, is really good, maybe really familiar with the deck or thinking about deputy of detention, there's a lot of times when someone might do an attack that seems good on their end. You're able to vial in a deputy and just get them because There, you remove one or two creatures with the same name. You have some profitable blocks. Have you been spying on me? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a super, it's super great. I mean, I've had, I've had very good opponents just do things like. You're dead, right? Like, you don't, you can't have anything here. And I'm like, I'm going to vile in a deputy detention and eat
0: your primeval titan. Uh, move to combat? Uh, before combat, <laughs> activate vial. <laughs> Sometimes
2: yeah. vile on three can be good.
0: I think often vile on three
3: is very yeah. good. So yeah, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about which number you like to leave your vile on later. Oh, my gosh. So oh, I'm
0: more of a four guy, if you know what I mean.
3: A four guy in this deck where there's no four drops. I just do it to just for just 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 to, to mock 'em.
1: Yeah,
0: big mood.
3: Here I am. I'm moving this file to four. Yeah, I know.
1: When clicking always yes goes wrong. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: Sometimes you misclick at an MTGO and then you gotta stand there like the big boss you are. As with old tribal decks, you also have lords in addition to disruptive creatures. So spirits have what are probably some of the best playable lords in modern because of two abilities that are known as hexproof and costing two mana. <laughs> So, the Hexproof Lord is Drogskull Captain, which is.
2: Drogskull Captain!
0: Drogskull! One, a blue and a white, 2 2 flyer. Other spirit creatures you control get plus one plus one, and have a Hexproof, which is they can't be the target of spells or abilities your opponents control? That seems very, very good. So, you can vial this in in response to removal spells. You can just play it out there and say deal with it sometimes you can put two out there and say, hey, now it's either a board wipe or you can't do nothing.
3: Yeah, I I just wanted to say, I think that this is actually a primary plan of the Spirits deck against any deck that has point removal is trying to, you know, any deck that's trying to one for one, you trying to get double drug skull captain online is like a goal that you should be working towards. And so you should be thinking about like, how can I get my captain out there and protect it a little bit with my selfless spirit. And then maybe I can violin or play a phantasmal image so that I have double captain. Mm -hmm. And then you have these two, two, two hexproof three, three flyers, which just kind of gets out of control really fast. And then your whole team is even wider. So um, I, I think it's, it's really important to remember that this is like a plan in the deck to have uh, double proof.
0: What
1: do you guys think a drug skull is?
0: Well, Dave is CEO of Drug Skull Industries, so maybe he could elaborate on what is and is not offered by his company, which is based out of the Cayman Islands. Didn't Skeletor live in Drug Skull? That was Grey Skull! He,
3: Skeletor <laughs> lived on snake mountain for crying out loud. He did not snake. Ma- oh my God. I'm going to lose my friggin' mind. He man lived in castle gray skull. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, in my mind, Skeletor won and took over gray So we can kind of drop that.
2: Well, by the power of two Drog skulls, I have hexproof lock. Yep, exactly. For all you eighties kids out there. <laughs> all right. We're going back to that Supreme phantom. Well, one in the blue for a one, three flyer that pumps your spirit creatures. One, one. So it's kind of unassuming. Yeah. it Also
3: has green peppers, sausage, onions, and pepperoni. Mm, I'm more of a Beyonce kind of guy.
2: Yeah. Yeah. The most important ingredients: mushrooms. Sometimes, if you're into that. So Zach talked a lot about what made this what makes this card good. It's just it's the right casting cost, the right toughness, especially when pumped by other lords. It gets out of bolt range, which is quite nice in modern. Super clear skin. Yeah, it's great. It's a it's a great little great little flying 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 person. Love it. Yeah, so the third lord in this deck. The third everything in this deck. Yeah,
3: but I feel like in this deck I did kind of use it as a lord more often than anything else is Phantasmal Image. Yeah. And that is one in a blue for a zero zero and it says Zero Zero. Yeah, I know zero zero. You may have Phantasmal Image enter the battlefield as a copy of any creature on the battlefield. You may if you want except it's an illusion in addition to its other types and it has when this creature becomes a target of a spell or ability sacrifice it
0: <laughs> that was read very much like some credit card
3: terms <laughs> it's an illusion michael Illusions. Illusion. is an illusion different from a spirit we don't really know
0: oh yeah oh my goodness well, uh, illusion has no no connection to some sort of earthly realm beyond this one or any sort of like rely mm. Is an illusion the same as a spirit? Oh my goodness! Which
3: which school of of magicianing is, are spirits attached to? Zach, necromancy. Okay, which school of magicianing are illusions?
0: Illusion, illusion magic. Okay, there's
1: there's nine schools. Think about it this way, Jace, cunning castaway, best three mana. Jace makes illusions. He does not make spirits. He makes spirits,
2: spirit illusions. Okay. <laughs> so why why is Phantasmal Image good? Let's talk about that.
0: It's a little bit more important. Well, so it enters as a copy of something, so it can trigger the battlefield effects. So you can have this enter as a copy of Spell Queller and get a Spell Queller effect, which is very good for two.
3: I mean, it doesn't have Flash, so you have you have to vial it in, but so there's there's tricky ways to do it.
0: The, yeah, this deck does have the mechanics to make the most of this card. Phantasmal Image is at its best when you can put it in when your opponent at least suspects it.
3: Totally. And like I said, a lot of times what you're going to do with this is just use it as an extra pump to make your team bigger. But there are other things like Spell Queller, like Zach said, or, you know, maybe you want another um, you want another of the selfless spirit just to help uh, make sure you have kind of like redundancy against removal and things like that. So
1: your second drug skull captain, if you're trying to beat point removal decks. Exactly.
3: So the core of these three cards together, they really are kind of like Zach said, the broken aspect of this deck. The, the spirit creatures are really good, right? They're versatile. They have counterplay. They have good lords. There's all these things that are really good about the creature suite here. And that's great. But the thing that turns it into like a modern deck in itself is the fact that they there's an opportunity here to use one of several broken cards a, as part of the core of the engine. One of them is Aether Vial, okay? And that's the place that we can start because that kind of fits into both the Bant and the... um the blue-white builds. So let's talk about Aether Vial for a second and why that card is is good. We'll do our once-every-six-month refresher course on why Aether Vial is good.
0: And is Aether Vial a spirit? Is it Aether Vial? Or is it just Aether Vial? Uh,
3: I think it's a vial you put spirits
0: in. (gasps) Mm, Oh, Aether? No, Aether is the material from between realms, which is maybe where ghosts could be, but not where they really are.
3: Is it an illusion?
0: Mm, No, Aether is very real, my friend. And I have a bottle you can buy for very, very cheap.
2: Most people know how Aether Vile works, yeah? One CMC artifact and your upkeep, you get to put a charge counter on it. You can tap it based on how many charge counters around it. You get to spit a creature from your hand onto the battlefield. Note, it is not casting the creature. Very cool to get around various counter magics. It's hard for the opponent to respond to because they have to respond to the activation rather than the creature coming uh, being cast because there's no casting actually taking place. So, because the deck is running all these creatures with awesome inner-the-battlefield effects, whether it's uh, being able to sacrifice them to get around some damage or to counter an instant sorcery, whether that's pumping up your board to blow someone out in combat or do a bunch more damage than the opponent was expecting, whether it's providing hexproof, there's all sorts of awesome things that you can do when your creatures are ending the battlefield, and Aether Vile enables you to do that at a faster speed than possible, typically. It also allows you to get your creatures onto the board more quickly if you're the aggressive deck in the in the matchup. So you're using your mana to get creatures down, and you're using your Aether Vial activations to get creatures down, which is allowing you to kind of effectively double the mana you have available to you. Yeah.
3: I mean, I think people look at Aether Vial and go, oh, there's all these tricky things that I can do with my creature deck now to bring things in at instant speed and all this stuff, bring things in at the end of turns, hold up instants, but still be able to cast a creature— I think the truth is the level 1 reason Aether Vial is good is because it ramps you. It gives you extra mana and if you manage the counters that are on it well and think about what you have in your hand, what you could draw, what you might play later, the fact that it just lets you play an extra spell is very very much worth the slot in the deck uh, in a deck full of creatures. And so, yeah, it's a huge bummer to top deck one of these later in the game, but you'll win so many more games off of playing an Aether Vial early, and then being able to play two, three drops, or on turn three, or a three, dr- really, you would be playing a three drop and a two drop on turn three, which is very, very good. Sure. So, that's Aether Vial. Lets you get tricky. Lets you ramp. Great utility card. Um, the next kind of couple of cards that the Bant deck gets to run are Noble Hierarch and collected company so noble hierarch is really interesting because it's it's not a card that i think that people would think would fit into this deck right away um noble hierarch is a single green for a an 01 human
0: noble is it a human noble human druid <gasps> no it's i don't believe it's a nobility cast uh, sometimes like druids can be a noble class but i don't think they are an lr or band Okay, so she's a human
3: druid, and th- this is the uh, the rules text. Exalted, whenever a creature you control attacks alone, that creature gets plus one, plus one until end of turn. Tap, add a single blue, a single white, or a single green to your mana pool. I read those in the order of my preference. And as I mentioned, Noble Hierarch is an one So, look, Noble Hierarch is basically the best mana mana dork that's ever been made, right? And why is that? Well, Better than a bird? It is better than a bird. And the reason is that little line of text that says Exalted, which is surprisingly powerful, especially in a deck full of flyers, so that you can use Noble Hierarch to make sure that you're attacking for at least two or three really fast, really consistently over and over again. And the thing that's really impressive about Exalted is that it stacks. So if you happen to have a hand that has multiple nobles, you can swing in with an early cast flyer and get, stack up all those triggers and make them even bigger.
0: Just to highlight how correct and how powerful this is, and what this allows in the Bant Spirits build, is you can turn one noble, turn two, play a land pass, You have Spellclaw mana open, and you can quell their spell, and then on your turn you swing for three in the air, and you had a tempo play. Like, just that sort of nonsense is really the tip of the iceberg of what uh, Noble allows to happen.
3: Yeah, and so much like Aether Vile, you know, there's all these tricky things that you can do with Noble Hierarch or Fringe Benefits, but also it just ramps you, and so that's always amazing in itself.
1: Did you ever have a preference of which you wanted to cast in turn one, given the choice between both of them?
3: So here, here's my opinion on that. And I might be wrong or I might be right. My, my opinion, and I just was just thinking about this two or three nights ago because I was playing a league and I had one of those openers that had both of them. I think you have to play Aether Vile first because you then get to cast two cards on turn two for sure. This is assuming you have a two drop in your hand as well but that that's the goal right is to try to cast as many cards as possible and if you catch a noble on turn one then you re, you still only get to probably cast one one card and use it Where if you flip it around the other way you get aether vial up and running
1: and is, is any of that because spirits doesn't have something like a turn two mantis rider which which humans can do off of a turn one noble hierarch
3: yeah i i think so yeah you just you want to get that aether vial up online as fast as possible
2: yeah, I if if, think if you ran the math on sort of the value that you got out of an Aether Vial on one. The simulations. Yeah, some simulations versus an, a Noble Hierarch on one. I think the, the value is m- more broadly there with an Aether Vial on one because for the reasons you mentioned earlier, well, you want that on two or more likely on three as the game goes on and the faster you can get that the more you're sort of getting ramp, the more you have something sitting there allowing you to get your creatures out of the board. And I think that you're right with kind of the even the early turn examples you gave, Dave.
3: Now, I have a question here too, which is if you have Noble Hierarch and Mausoleum Wanderer in your hand, which which one do you lead out on?
2: That might be a matchup dependent. Like I'm thinking like if, I, if I've seen some powerful instant or sorceries early on, like maybe they're playing like a Titan Shift deck where they want to be casting something that's going to ramp them then maybe i want to slow i want to slow them down on that
3: yeah i don't know um yeah i i think i think that one's really tough too i think it does depend on the matchup i mean you're going to get some value out of mausoleum wanderer so so you should probably lead with that and against decks where you think you are going to get some so but anyway that's noble hierarch this is uh this is kind of like the home that noble hierarch finds itself in these days it's mostly these kind of like tribal decks. And then the last card of the kind of broken era area of spirits is Collected Company.
1: Collected Company. Three in a green for an instant. Look at the top six cards of your library. Put up to two creature cards with CMC three or less from among them on the battlefield. Put the rest on the bottom of your library. Surprisingly a card we haven't talked about too much on this podcast, but it's actually one of my favorite green cards to cast. And what Cocoa enables in a deck like Spirits is the ability to play disruptive spells out of nowhere sometimes. So earlier I mentioned you kind of have to get lucky, but you can get something like a lord off of a Cocoa or a couple lords even to get them out of the range of something like Anger the Gods or Plague Engineer. Likewise, you can get lucky and pull out a Spell Queller to use it for something disruptive. It's just another way to kind of refill your hand without ever having to go through your hand and just produce more of a critical mass of creatures to execute your game plan and your aggressive strategy as quickly as possible. And with the addition of Noble Hierarch, you can sometimes do this as early as turn three. Right. Which is awesome. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Super awesome. I think collective
2: Company sort of plays into the slightly more aggressive aspect of Bant that we'll talk about in just a second. There's some. Dave was mentioning some math earlier on about Collected Company, and I think just a few things I wanted to throw out there that I uh, looked up is the odds of getting a spell queller if you haven't drawn one yet is about 40%. And if you've drawn one, it's about 30%. Uh, If you have a spell queller in play already and you want to cast a company, you can get another one or a phantasmal image to copy the one in play is about 60%. If you have a couple spell, if you have a couple of images, it might be. I think it might be relying on three or four in the deck there. Yeah.
0: What what Shane is sort of alluding to right now, and what is a powerful part of uh, a Company, sometimes called Coco, is that when your opponent casts a spell and you don't have an answer, sometimes you can just jam a Clique to Company and hope you get a spell queller or a piece of interaction, and sometimes that's good enough and will get you there. Like I've been there where it's um, Chandra, Coco, and they get a spell queller. Okay, well. I'm not gonna win this yeah. game anymore all right then
2: yeah your odds of you know your odds of getting lords are pretty high because of the the quantity that you run in the deck so it pays to kind of have a in the back of your mind kind of like your your rough odds but a lot of times you're spinning that cocoa wheel and you really just want to be casting it and seeing what it gets
3: yeah and in a lot of ways this is like a draw card like I mean when it comes down to it it's card advantage right it's a two for one Hopefully, like a lot of the times.
0: What if I drew two, but also they were on the battlefield?
3: Yeah, I mean, exactly. There, you draw them, and they go directly into play, which is even even more amazing. Um, but this is a deck that I think when you look at like the blue white one, for example, it can struggle a little bit with the lack of card draw, and so that's kind of where I think the inspiration for the early band list came from was r- the realization that all of the cards in the deck that were worth running were th- three CMC or lower. So why not run Coco?
2: Yeah. I think that's kind of a good time for us to talk about quickly just the difference between Blue-White and Band Spirits and why you might want to run either because they're still both around. Like If you look on a, on the weekly or the, the semi-weekly deck dumps, you're going to see almost always Band Spirits and Blue-White Spirits. These are both decks that are around and people are winning with, and they're pretty similar in construction and strategy, but there's some really important differences. And like Dave said, Bant was kind of the original build that really wanted to leverage the power of the best mana dork in Noble Hierarch and that real value generation card of Eclectic Company. I
3: think it's hard. Honestly, I think it's kind of hard to say that that, though. I mean, I guess Bant was around, and then when Supreme Phantom came out, then it went blue-white for a while, and then it kind of went back to Bant and blue-white, and then you know there was that kind of division between... Aether Vial and Coco were in different decks, and then finally they decided to put. You know, I forget who ran it originally, but it was it Straske or or someone in in the summer?
2: They wanted. They were like, we're we're, do, we're doing three Aether Vials and at ba- the end,
3: right? And that and that just felt like, oh, okay, that makes sense. I guess we're all just going to mash these decks together, and then I had to go out and buy Noble Hierarchs finally, and that's that's what happened.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, for a long time there really was this maxim that for tribal decks you did either Aether Vial or you did collect a company. You didn't do both. And then either the math worked out or the results were there or just whatever it turned out that actually you can do both. And both are just very good together. And there's only
2: so much room. So I think that's one reason they only run three. But, you know, you also have rattle chains to rely on and kind of be your fourth there. So what Bant really allows is a little bit more explosive start than Azorius while also having slightly worse mana. So it gets creatures onto the board really quickly with the Noble Hierarch Ramp, with the Collected Company, Card Advantage, and Aether Vial, all getting creatures onto the battlefield really quickly. And on on the other hand, you have Blue-White Spirits, which is a little bit more tempo-y, a little bit more counter-magic heavy. So that runs kind of the full playset of Aether Vials. It typically has a full playset or three Rattle Chains in the main to give you that additional instant
0: speed interaction and tricks. And that's why, as mentioned earlier, I heard, like, you're a card like Cure Great Glass Spinner will likely be run in blue-white over Band because of that extra tempo, you know, vile or ability to push through or disrupt your opponent when you really need to, as opposed to just flooding the board or being really good at dealing
2: damage. Yeah, it has a cleaner mana base that can use more basics, use more fast lands, have more utility lands like Ghost Quarter or Mutavault when you want it. It's a little bit sleeker. It's designed for consistency instead of having the relying on Collected Company hits being what you want. So, and also by not running collected company or noble hierarchy, you get space for things like interaction. So you run more path to exiles. You can run some force of negations, very popular now. Sometimes you might run a teferi time raveler to disrupt your opponent's ability to interact uh, on instant speed on uh, your turn.
3: Yeah, it's interesting that that the blue white deck has that ability, especially coming out of the sideboard, to be able to have a little bit more space for non creature sort of non-creature answer cards which maybe the bant deck doesn't have but on the other hand you know since modern horizons came has come out some of the best cyborg cards have become creatures and i'm looking at you
2: collector oaf maybe we're going to talk about that later but oh yeah it's really hard to know if one's more powerful than the other because you see them so often and it may come down to preference but you know what do you what do you all think do you think you lean more towards liking bant more or blue white more
3: So I started out being very interested in just playing the blue-white deck. Like I said, I didn't want to get Caverns. I didn't want to get Noble Hierarchs. And um, I think at this point, I really just want to be playing Collected Company in this deck. And so I'm just going to kind of go backwards from that. Uh, I just don't know if the benefits to playing the blue-white deck are there as much as they, they used to be. But that's just me.
0: I personally love the sort of slot machine feel to Coco and how it can just like pull the lever, see what happens. But like sometimes what happens is you get like a lord and a Spell queller and that's exactly what you need to counter their spell. Then you untap and have lethal. And it really just can't be understated that with the way the deck's built and how Coco often works is that the hits you get are just really good the majority of the time. So band all the way, baby.
3: I mean, I, I think it's interesting. Like, I Definitely, Coco has that kind of slot machine feel, like you're saying. I, al- I also think a lot of times it's like, I'm happy with whatever two bodies I get out of it. And I think if you can manufacture situations where collect company is more about card advantage than it is about saving you from a scrape, you'll probably be better off in the mm-hmm. long run playing this deck. Now, sometimes you do have to just Absolutely. spin the wheel when, like you said, somebody casts Supreme Verdict and you're like, well... I already got a spell queller down. Let's see if I can get a phantasmal image or a spell queller. Like that's totally part of the plan. But um, I think that sometimes it's okay for Coco to just be two cards that attack.
2: I've been thinking about it. I think it kind of depends on the speed of the format, perhaps, and also how valuable being able to run a large amount of counter magic is. Blue white spirits run something like three four Negations main. And it has so many blue spells to support those three Force of Negations as a you know, never doesn't have anything typically besides maybe like a selfless spirit and a few other mono-white spells that can't be pitched to the force of negation. That allows you to disrupt a lot of the spell-based, non- non-creature-based strategies that are trying to go off. But then again, there are a lot of creature-based combo strategies, even kind of the the Urza mid range deck right now relies on a lot of value based creatures, as a you know, along with Planeswalkers, of course, which could be countered by Force of Negation. So I don't think there's an absolute here. I think that there is a season to taste and in, in response to the the other meta the metagame that you're experiencing, and also just personal play patterns. Like if you like being a little bit more react- reactive, if you like being able to run a little bit more counter magic, if you like consistency. Over time, then you might like blue-white better. If you like getting to the board, if you like beating down, you might like Bant
0: better. So moving on to how Spirits is going to sideboard against you or things you can expect out of Spirits, both Bant and blue-white. So both these decks have access to classic white hate cards, and that's Stony Silence, Rest in Peace, Ruined Halo, Worship exists and will sometimes blow you out when you're mono-red and don't have a way to remove an enchantment and you just lose the game. Not that that happened to me recently. They also have what we call colorless hate. Sometimes things like dampening sphere, pithing needle, sorcerer spyglass. These are all playable and frequently see play. The deck also features counter magic, things like unified will, which is a very fun card I'm going to mention real quick one in a blue for an instant. Counter target spell, if you control more creatures, that spells controller, which you often do in this deck.
1: I love the occasional fringy counterspell where they cast it. And because of the conditions of the game, it's just secretly the best counter spell in the history of magic.
0: Things like force and negation and then, you know, disdainful strokes or most rejection. All these, you know, super playable blue spells will see play in spirit sideboards. We also have the benefit of Disruptive Creatures. The card we mentioned earlier and what I believe would be 14-year-old Zach's favorite card. Kataki, War's Wage. One and a white for a 2-1. All artifacts have, the beginning of your upkeep, sacrifice artifact unless you pay one. So for things like Affinity or Urza, you can make them have to lose their board or lose all their mana that turn urza less good sometimes because if they have urza out it's sort of ugh. but just a good way to strip artifact strategies or keep them from getting too much tempo you also have emotional cleric which is a spirit we didn't mention earlier which is you can sacrifice it to exile all cards from target player's graveyard really good for stopping dredge or other graveyard based strategies you also have idol of rhetoric another spirit Two and a white, 1-4. Each player can't cast more than one spell each turn, brought against combo decks, storm, etc. You also have other classic white sideboard cards like Horror Firewalker or Our Champion. And then with Band, you get some fun stuff like Collector Oof, which is a card that I'm sure we all know and love or know and hate. And then Knight of Autumn, which is not a spirit, but it really benefits from the violent Coco builds, where you're able to sometimes just get it out there and totally disrupt to your opponent and catch them unaware.
3: I mean, I think that all these cards kind of point to one of the things that's the other secret part of why Spirits is good, which is you get to run some really, really good sideboard cards. You get to run counter magic. You get to run great, like, disruptive creatures. You get to run um, colorless hate. You get to run a little bit of removal here and there. And so
0: graveyard and artifact hate.
3: Yeah. It kind of covers everything if you need it to.
0: Yeah, it's a
2: real advantage over a deck like Humans. But because of the five-color mana base of humans, you can't run a lot of colored spells. But because spirits is just two or three colors, you get to run all these nice, you know, especially white-based sideboard cards. White has always historically been awesome for sideboard cards. So it allows you to run those as opposed to having everything be on a creature like humans kind of has to do typically or be colorless. Yeah.
3: Yeah, and things like Collector Oaf these days are just amazing off of a off of a cocoa occasionally. You know, being able to have Rest in Peace and Collector Oaf in the same kind of board is very strange but very good at the same time. And so I think it's um it's really it's a really powerful aspect of why you would want to play Spirits.
2: All right, now we gotta talk about everyone's favorite part, how to play against a deck. And so like, against many creature-based strategies, you're going to want to leverage your removal, of course, right? This is going to be many decks' primary chance of surviving against spirits deck. Because spirits can quickly build up a board with lords, with protection-based creatures, with something giving them hexproof or a selfless spirit just sitting there waiting to pop. So you have to think about how to use removal... Early and often. And Zach, I know that you you love red base removal decks. So what are you thinking
0: about when you're facing down spirits? I totally agree. Early and often. But even more so, like we mentioned, because spirits has all these threat of activation cards. You just have to kill a lot of stuff on site. And some stuff you can sort of wait and think about. And maybe a selfless spirit, you can bait them into cracking and then use your sweeper. But stuff like Mausoleum Wanderer, I'll kill that right away. Because if I don't, they can sometimes catch you unaware or... It's one of those cards you have to always play around, and always be aware of. So for any spirits card that has an activated ability, in my opinion, is kill on sight. And sometimes you might want to save you know, double removal for a spell queller or be aware of those cards. But in general, if I see a spirit, I want it dead. I want it double dead.
2: And it could be challenging to use removal against spirits because you might think that you're baiting them into building up their board. And then you're going to be like, I'm going to crack a fetch, Fatal Push their Drogskull Captain, remove Hexproof from all their other creatures, kill their Spell Queller with a Lightning Bolt, and, you know, sort of steamroll from there. But... Why are you
0: spying on me?
2: But a lot of times, if the spirits player is good they're going to not allow themselves to get in that situation. They might have something being able to be flashing off, an, uh, off, off of an aether vial. They might spin the wheel on a collective company and get lucky. So it's a hard dance to really be involved in. And I think, Zach, your strategy is probably the safest, which is just keep the board as clear as possible and don't allow, don't allow them to set up uh, the perfect storm of spirits on the other side of the board.
0: I even said anything with activated ability. Anything with activated ability or as a Lord, or honestly, if you don't like it, just get rid of it. Like spirits is a deck that can snowball so quickly and like a well-timed spell queller or a well-timed by activation. And all of a sudden they're back on the board and burying you. So just kill them, kill them, kill them. Yeah.
3: I mean, one other thing to help with this is just thinking about it sort of, you know, the way I, I think about it a little bit is Lords have to pump other creatures, Right, so I think people like to hold up their removal to try to kill the lords, but why not just kill the creatures that are that the lord is going to pump? You know what I mean? Because if if they don't have anything up when they play the lord, what does it matter?
0: Supreme Phantom, pretty bad by itself. Turns yeah, out.
3: yeah. I, I hit you for one.
0: Hit <laughs> <laughs> for one. Your turn. Um, untap sweepers of
2: course can be good you have to be able to you know play around the f- the fairly obvious times when spell queller mana might be up or a spell queller acti- you know spell coming off an aether of can be left up but a lot of times you also can't live in fear of that so it's a,
0: it's it's a hard to live in that zone absolutely um if you are running a red deck particularly or some sort of thing where a card that is bad at scaling for removal Make them have a spell color and make them have the counter magic because at a certain point your card is nigh unusable. So risk it early and I'd rather get that big reward than be sitting there looking at Anger of the Gods and looking at a board full of X-Force.
2: Yep. There's some decks that I think are better selections against Spirits. Ooh, tweaking your 75. Yeah, tweak that 75. You know, Spirits is no longer the, the tier one threat. That it used to be, but you're still going to see a lot of Spirits players online. You're going to see them at the LGS. I see Spirits more than I think I will when I'm playing on Magic the Gathering online. (laughs) There's a a known Spirits player that's kind of an end boss always at my LGS in Denver. So you're going to see it. Almost like they're haunting the store. Yeah. So Tron is typically not a great matchup for Spirits because Spirits doesn't have a great clock to overwhelm Tron. Before it gets that sweeper effect or a life gain card and like a warm coil engine or a Thrag Tusk and a car in the Great Crater is going to be able to nab something like an ensnaring bridge and get it in around any kind of counter magic you might have. And other big mana decks like Titan Shift can also present problems because again, you don't really always have a great answer to a threat like Primetime besides your path. And then your clock might not also also be there. But Dave, you said you had a slightly different experience, right?
3: Well, I mean, I just had some good luck, I guess, in the league that I had recently, where I I did um, I beat Tron and Titan Shift, and it felt like <gasps> it felt like or not Titan Shift, actually Amulet Titan. Um, it felt a little bit like Spirits was good at disrupting these decks that rely on early tutorish effects or early setup mm-hmm. kind of turns to execute their plans because I could disrupt those. And then they were kind of like, great, what do I do now? So, you know, in one game, I beat Amulet Titan with um with, du- with double damping sphere and some protection spells.
2: Yeah, drawing your sideboard cards helps.
3: Yeah, basically, I drew my sideboard cards, you know, and so and that's part of the reason that I was saying earlier that, you know, spirits has a good sideboard and you get to use it against decks like this where the, the matchup is not that great.
2: Yeah. Competing sort of go-wide decks that can present a clock faster than Spirits can also be a problem. So like Dredge, because your disruption as Spirits, doesn't really line up well with what Dredge is doing. But in Dredge-heavy metagame, Spirits does get options
0: like Remorseful Clerics and Rest in Peace. narkomiva also blocks Spirits real well and is real frustrating to play against.
2: Yeah. Sure. And other small Swarm decks can just kind of overrun you. Like Elves can just put threats on the board before Spirits can really get set up. And if you really want to get rogue, something like Soul Sisters, Martyr, Martyr Proc style decks with the constant life gain are just really awful mashups for spirits. So we've talked about spirits for a, a while. So now I think we got to think a little bit about the future of the deck. And there's there's a the future in Modern and there's a the future in Pioneer. The
0: future out West. A better life for you and your family. Buy, war, bonds. <laughs> Thanks for the PSA. Um, Shane. Yes. You kind of
3: led putting together, you and Zach kind of led putting together notes for this episode. So I'm going to ask you first what do you think about spirits in this meta?
2: I really wish I didn't get to play against any kind of the new big baddies of the format when I was testing. I somehow played like three re- just removal based decks in my most recent league along with some other stuff. And it was just, I somehow beat the removal decks. It was just like Jund and Death Shadow. And you know, I wasn't facing down the new Urza decks or the upgraded you know, Tron decks or anything like that. So I, I didn't have a great experience in my testing to say, how's it feeling right now? But Grixis, Shadow and Jund are popular decks. So those aren't always a great matchup, but I think if you get lucky then and, and leverage Coco as well against something like Jund, you're going to have a decent time. That's not a great answer, but that's what the answer I have. Are you going to play it again? I always like Spirits. I'm definitely thinking about spirits and pioneer zach what did you think about playing the deck in
0: in modern i found it challenging to play and i think probably my biggest takeaway every single time we do a dive down episode on a deck is how hard it is to play different modern decks and how skills don't always transfer over and how i think i'm like being an omega brain and like thinking outside the system and then like i play right into someone's plan where like i would have seen it with a different deck or i would have known to play with a different deck So I just felt like this challenged me in a lot of ways I had not been challenged previously and caused me to think in a way I don't normally think with tribal decks. Like with goblins, you're not holding up mana to do something silly. Like sometimes you can, you know, activate a vial and put in something cool, but mostly you're getting out there and going, what are you doing? What are you doing? Well, spirits is what are you doing? So I can respond to what are you doing?
3: Yeah, totally.
0: Totally. So I liked it. I think in Pioneer, a lot of these cards are legal, right? Like only drug Skull Captain is pretty much what's missing from this package. And Aether Vial, obviously. Yeah. But a lot of this core is still there. And I think this is a deck to keep an eye out. Spirits is another creature type like humans, where it's easy to have cards be a spirit and have it make thematic sense. So we will, in my opinion, absolutely get more push spirits at some point, And we'll see if it's enough to make this deck really competitive in Pioneer.
3: I actually had a pretty good experience with spirits in both. Both uh, formats, I played it in modern, and I played it in pioneer. Both, I think we've covered a lot about why it's, you know, what's good about it in modern and things like that. I actually think that given what Zach said about how most of lots of the cards are um, legal in pioneer, that I think that there's a good chance that spirits is going to be one of the good creature aggro decks in, in pioneer and be a resilient one at that. Um, I do think that there are some cards that get way more important in the pioneer build, so there is a replacement lord. For Drogs call captain in Pioneer, it's called Empyrean Eagle, which I don't know if people realize. It's a flying is
1: Lord
3: is a flying Lord, but it's also a spirit, so it gets pumped by Supreme Spirit as well, which or Supreme Phantom as well, which is pretty interesting. Um, these these builds are a lot more reliant on Reflector Mage and Deputy Detention for disruption, which I think is great. Actually, you know that lets you deal with a lot of different types of permanence. Um, I I think that Reflector Mage is a plenty good card and sometimes good enough in modern to do stuff. So sometimes I like having it around him in, in my, my modern builds as well, but it's very, very powerful in pioneer for sure. So I think that the fact that in modern you get the, the super kind of broken uh, engine of the expensive cards of uh Cavernous souls and noble hierarch and aether vial and collected company and you also get to use collected company, which I think is one of the be- are one of the best cards in Pioneer. I think that this is a good kind of core to think about buying buying into in general because I think that it it could be good in either format at any given time. And you could start with the Pioneer version and kind of build up to the Modern one. You could degrade your Modern one into a Pioneer deck, and I, I think there's just a lot of options here. So,
2: and you get to play the the busted Pioneer card that. It's a single white mana, makes an opposing creature become defender and loses flying. Yeah. Path to exile. It's it's basically path to exile. It's terminate. A single white mana terminate. It's pretty funny.
1: Dave, how important did you find unclaimed territory to be in the pioneer version as a replacement for Cavern?
2: I did
3: not play it.
1: Whoa. Is, is it just that the mana is, is kind of good enough for this tribe that you don't have to worry about something like that?
3: Yeah, I I don't think you needed it, honestly. And I would be worried about casting the couple of spells that I did have or the non, you know, one of the biggest bummers about playing spirits is when you want to play Deputy Detentions and you only have Cavern of Souls for either your blue or your white source, and that is just super brutal. And so I actually think that's one of the, I, I felt like the mana was a little more stable in some ways in the Pioneer version because I was just all in on like taking damage off of my mana and it was fine. I guess the last thought I would kind of part with is that when we started putting this deck dive together, Shane was kind of like, isn't Spirits just another beatdown deck in Pioneer? And I think it is kind of just another beatdown deck in both formats, but it's a really good one and it's fun and it has lots of lines of play, lots of opportunities for you to be able to play around your opponents. And so I think, you know, it's a good core for someone to think about building from here. Look out for play Engineer though, because gross. Well, that's that's not in Pioneer
0: though. Right, no, it's a modern. So with that, that wraps up this week's
1: show. You lived, you died, and now you're a very viable tribe. Thank you to my co-host for leading such a great deck dive. I was a little quiet on this episode because I didn't get to play the deck due to some life changes on my end. Uh, I watched Ghostbusters to prepare for this episode, but uh, that didn't really come up as often as I hoped. And I know. These
2: were these were good life changes. Don't 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 scare anybody.
1: Oh yeah, that's true. I, I bought a condo. <laughs> so I I moved. I love having co-hosts that I can trust to put together a good episode even when I kind of just come in to ask stupid questions and make even stupider jokes. So So do
0: all spirits fly or just
1: <laughs> <laughs> If you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to our podcast so you get the latest episodes as soon as they come out, whether it's a dive down or if it's an episode that one of us didn't get to prepare for, you get to hear it first every Friday. Also, if you use Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and a review. If you'd like to submit a question to the podcast or pick our brain on something in modern, you can tweet us at the Dive Down, all one word, or email thedivedown at gmail.com. You can even find us on Instagram at thedivedown, all one word. If you'd like to support the show, you can join our Patreon, where joining at any tier gets you access to our super-secret Slack channel. Higher tiers have higher perks, including picking future episode topics like Blue Cheese did this week for Spirits. Shuts up, Blue Cheese. Heads up, Blue Cheese. A good cheese. Check that out at patreon.com slash thedivedown. Also, shout out to manatraders.com for sponsoring the Dive Down. You can sign up for Mana Traders using promo code TheDiveDown, all one word. Get 10% off your first three months of renting paper or Magic Online cards. Get acclimated to Modern. Get acclimated to Pioneer. Heck, play some Standard. Play some Brawl. I don't care. Either way. I played some Vintage recently. Use promo code TheDiveDown, all one word, for whatever format you like to play. As always, special thanks to the bands, Nowhere, and Spaceblood for letting us use their music. And until next week, get out there and haunt your Game Store!
3: Just so people understand, I'm holding up to the camera right now a sealed copy of Ghostbusters on cassette. It is This is a beta. This is not a VHS cassette, by the way. This is a Betamax.
1: Are you humble bragging? Has it been sealed for 25 years or did you just buy this as a collector?
3: No, it has a sticker on the front. This is My parents had this. I found it at their house a couple of months ago. Oh, his parents. Yeah, they probably bought it at Sam Goody or uh, Suncoast. Yeah, yeah,
0: Suncoast. That is where I got my anime when I was in middle school. Yes, we can drop yes. that, but I was by an Evangelion at Suncoast at a prime time in my life. That's where, I, that's
2: where I literally bought my copy of Akira. Hey! I'm just saying, Ghost.
3: I just realized this is sitting over here. Ghostbusters on beta.
0: I, I'm sorry, I'm not familiar with that film. Do they fight Ghost, or is it more of like a wrestling uh, They thing? bust them.
1: Do they arrest the Ghost? Do they bust down doors and say, Ghost? We're taking you downtown. There are cops who can arrest ghosts now. Even when
0: you're dead, you're not safe. Ghost arresters is what it what it what it was originally called.
1: Mm.